Welcome to RAS Talk, the podcast on recirculating aquaculture systems and sustainable food production. Brought to you by RAS Tech Magazine, the premier publication for recirculating aquaculture systems professionals. This episode is sponsored by OxyGuard International. Secure, grow, evolve. Improve your production with tailored and targeted technology. Hey everyone, welcome. My name is Jean Coden and I'm the new editor of Rastech Magazine. I'm so lucky to be joined by my co-host, Brian Vinci, the director of the Freshwater Institute. Hey, Brian. Hey, Jean. Welcome to the Rastech uh, podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah, um, I'm excited. I was first a listener to the podcast when it first launched, so it's cool to be on the other side. Brian, do you have any tips for me? <laughs> uh, no, no tips. Um, but uh, I'm really excited about the energy and new ideas that you're bringing to RAS Talk, and I'm really looking forward to uh, a group of uh, interviews and episodes for the rest of the year that um, will really engage our listeners. Yeah, for sure. Um, just for the listeners, we want to tease that we're already working on a very interesting list, and um, we just want to knock them out and have some great content for the rest of this year. Um, Brian, I also wanted to ask you, you've done three seasons of this so far, so are you still enjoying the hosting of this podcast? Like, Do you have a favorite part? Yeah, ab- absolutely enjoying the podcast and getting you to talk to folks in the industry, um, developing projects, working on projects, r- providing research and solutions. Uh, some of the, the best episodes we've ha- had go all the way back to season one and, um, you know, starting off with uh, Eric Heim at Nordic Aqua. And it's uh, exciting to um, look at some of those projects as they progress. Uh, we've spoke with quite a few of the principles of RAS projects um, all the way, all the way back to season one. Um, I guess my personal favorite episodes are when we get to talk about technical details um, but we do a nice mix of technical business and marketing, um, and it really has been fun. You know what? Maybe what I should do is for this particular episode, I'll have like a list, a mini list of, um, you know, Brian's favorites, because there are <laughs> some some greatest hits over there. And I think it would be cool for people to um, go back and listen to those past episodes. And maybe... You, people can let us know as well. Um, I'll post my email. Um, you can let us know who you think we should touch base with again. So for my first episode, I chose Lubomir Haidemaka to be our guest today. He is the founder and chief technology officer of Vismar Aqua, which is a RAS design firm in Ukraine. Uh, that, camp- that company may be familiar to our European listeners because it currently holds the title of the largest land-based shrimp farm in Europe. The farm is called Merman's House, and it opened in November last year, um, but unfortunately, it closed down four months later, and I want to let the interview speak for itself, but what I will tease is that he had a very important story to tell and an important perspective to share with us. Um, Brian, um, what did you think? What were your first um, thoughts before getting into this conversation? Well, the interview really emphasizes the importance of continuing to have food production, even in stressful times like times of war. And I also uh, found it um, uh, reinforcing the fact that shrimp and shrimp RAS continues to be an area of growth. We had Pat Wood on RAS Talk a few episodes ago. Pat talked at length about the development of shrimp all the way from ponds through to RAS. And Lubomar is picking up from 
that in a more modern sense, and they just focused on the RAS aspect of it. So I, I thought it was very interesting from those two aspects. Yeah, before we started um, recording this intro, actually, uh, Brian and I were taking a look at um, Merman's House's photo album. Brian, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on it. Well, I was blown away when I saw the pictures of President Zelensky visiting the facility with the principals. Um, uh, clearly yeah. a, a high profile uh, facility. It was beautiful. Um, solar panels on the roof and uh, a dock and just a tremendously uh, built facility. And hopefully after the conflict in the Ukraine uh, resolves, uh, they'll be able to get back to building it out and growing shrimp. And uh, as you'll hear in the interview, other species. And on that note, without further ado, let's get into our interview. Please enjoy the RAS Talk podcast with Lubomir Haidamaka. First off, I want to thank and welcome Lubomir for uh, taking the time to sit down with us today. We're so happy to have you as a guest on our podcast. Um, right now, everyone in the world is looking to the situation in Ukraine, and we're all just trying to make sense of this senseless war. Um, I think Brian would agree with this. And in the midst of that, uh, Vismar Aqua, your company, has a beautiful story to tell. So, yeah, I guess the first things first is thank you for being here and for taking the time. Yeah, thank you for inviting. And I would gladly share my story with all, all the people. And, uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here with you today. For the listeners who aren't familiar with Vismar Aqua, um, the company opened the doors to its land-based shrimp farm just last year. The facility is located in a small village in southern Ukraine, but recently it has been forced to close down. Um, Lubomir, can you tell our listeners the series of events that led to Vismar Aqua's closure? In 2020, I was approached by a group of investors who wanted to make something interesting and big in the aquaculture market in Ukraine. And uh, I must tell you that uh, having such a good potential for development aquaculture in, in my country here, we are not using it uh, even at 20% of its possibilities. Uh, so they were not sure what to grow. Uh, so when asking these people, what seafood do they prefer? I got the answer shrimp. So obviously we had no other options than to start the development of the shrimp farm in the South of Ukraine. So at the end of uh, 2021, the farm was built and the owner started to grow trial batches of Vaname shrimp waiting for the broodstock to come on February 26 in uh, 2022. And all of a sudden at four in the morning uh, on the February 24th, we woke up from the explosions and soon found out that the uh, uh, that the Russian uh, uh, started the invasion. Yeah, basically uh, from our office because our office is uh, located in the in the capital, Kiev, and and like in uh, till the the evening, yeah, this uh, the uh, Russian uh, military troops were standing like maybe 30, 40 kilometers from from the city. So we we were expecting to get the shipment from. Uh, uh, Thailand on February 26. So we basically already almost it was in the cargo area in Bangkok and it had to be canceled. And uh, so a few batches that were grown on the farm, uh, the owner decided to to just to donate them to the to the needs of the military Ukrainian military forces and the. Uh, 
some of them, they just stayed on the farm just to grow and to do some experiments. And basically they, well, they, they took the decision to shut down the operations temporarily. And basically in like two or three weeks, the Russian troops were maybe like 40 kilometers from, from that place here. But right now it's free. So we, you, can, you can go there, dress a few people still working on the in this uh, farm and uh, yeah, I hope that the owner says that like after uh, after our victory they will be able to resume the operations in, in and have the first uh, harvest in about four or five months yeah. so basically everything is in there and uh, everything is like top-notch it's really a super intensive uh, farm in a very beautiful, nice area. So I hope that people who are interested, sometime they will, after our victory, they will be able to visit this nice place and they see what how what, what we are doing here. What an unbelievable story. I want to take you back a little bit to that day. Um, you mentioned that, uh, did you get a call at four o'clock in the morning? Like, how did you find out that the, the Russian troops started invading Kiev? Yeah, you just say you see the you you sleep in your house and you you woke up and you hear some really sound explosions yeah and that's what, because like our uh, anti missiles uh, uh, system it was working and it was working very close from my house basically in the neighborhood so you can you can hear it you know because it's like your body was shaking on the on the bed on the bed and it was like uh, the car alarms were like uh, not very noisy very so it, it was like it, it was not a, a situation that you can uh, be in like every day yeah. so and yeah, then absolutely. I in in internet and I saw that like the the Russia starts the Russian started the invasion so basically, it was it was terrible situation, and, uh, and uh, many people they didn't know what to do. They were they were they got scared, and they started to leave the town. And know it there were terrible terrible uh, traffic uh, jams all over on the main uh, main routes outside of uh, the capital. So it was scary. The people were going maybe for like five hundred kilometers. They were going for two or three days. Yeah. So yeah. And I stayed here. I said, okay, you need to stay here. And because it's like, it's someone has to stay here and uh, just to watch to, well, the development. How is it going? Or what, how can we deal with it? Yeah. So that was, that was terrible. Yeah. I can imagine because um, as a fish farmer, I think that emergency contingencies and all of that is essentially part of the job, but um, this is to a very different level. I mean, Brian, can you speak to a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. These sorts of facilities that are based almost entirely on pumps and aeration and oxygenation have very little room for shutting down and keeping the fish or, or shrimp alive. So the backup systems include typically things like backup power generation through a diesel or propane generator. Um, they will also include backup oxygen systems or oxygen tanks that provide oxygen to the shrimp or the fish immediately upon any failure. As an engineer, you'd like to see at least one redundancy. So that would be a backup generator. 
if you can afford it, you would put in additional provisions like uh, a second backup generator or using liquid oxygen as your oxygen uh, feed gas so that it doesn't require power and it's not based on using the power for getting the oxygen to your RAS. So those are really critical. And I can imagine, Lubomir, that um, even with those kind of backup systems that you still had to think about how to shut down and harvest um, at the facility. Yeah. What were the conversations like once you um, heard that the Russians invaded and what are your first thoughts and uh, what are that those first conversations that you would have with your staff at the farm? Yeah, but the thing is that that like our our team we didn't we are not uh, running the the system yeah we are not running the farm yet basically we did our job we designed it and we helped them to start it and basically all of the stuff they they, they stayed there yeah and you're right Brian that they we have the the dancing, we have a diesel generator and we also have the the pressurized oxygen supply because we. We generate the oxygen on site with oxygen generators. When we were choosing the location, we chose we've chosen the the best possible location uh, in terms of uh, electricity because all the major uh, government lines, uh, like very powerful, they are located there. So basically, they have this like like they they always have the electricity. It's important. It's very like if someone just hit it or just destroyed it because it's anyway it's in in the ring yeah so basically they they have all the electricity all times uh, plus on on the rooftop they have they installed the 600 uh, kilowatts of uh, solar power generator or the, the station solar station solar power, power station so we were sure that uh, it won't happen uh, anything wrong yeah but yeah just knowing that the the Russian army is a few like few dozen kilometers away from from the farm, it makes you scary. Yeah, but it not only losing the harvest. It's like oh, they just started the operation. Maybe uh, they were using maybe fifteen or twenty percent capacity at that moment. But they were ready. Yeah, basically they were ready, and I uh, and I'm I'm, I'm very. Uh, satisfied that the, all the systems they they were working fine, so they they had no any no no failures, so it was it was okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, where are you now? Um, I skipped a question here. Um, are you are you at the Aquaferma farm? Are you at Vismar Aqua uh, headquarters? Uh, yeah, Vismar Aqua. It's a company we design, build, operate, and transfer. Uh, we we can basically design any aquaculture. Uh, farm for any aquatic species, yeah. So we are engineers, we're a team of engineers and we know what, what is needed uh, to keep uh, the best possible conditions uh, for aquatic animals. Where are you located? Uh, we're located in the capital in uh, Kiev and the farm, this farm is located uh, like uh, 400, like 300 miles here from Kiev in, on the okay. south direction. Yeah. It's called Black Sea, basically. We, yeah. It's located on the estuary of the Black Sea. Lubomir, let's talk a little bit about the technical details. Uh, we're going to use a new segment that we're calling Let's Get Technical. Uh, we want to go through some quick questions to get to know Visvar Aqua's RAS facility a little bit better. Um, you've mentioned that it's uh, Vaname, um, but what uh, production capacity does the facility have? The production capacity is uh, is uh, 
we think that we, we, we can go more, over than 500 uh, metric tons uh, per year. And it's a full cycle uh, production from a hatchery until processing uh, unit. Uh, total area of this uh, uh, farm is 65,000 uh, square feet. I already converted from meters, you know, <laughs> I did my job. And, uh, and also uh, we have uh, on the same territory, the, the all territory is 25, uh, 25 acres. Uh, and uh, we also have there the, the feed, feed meal plant, but it, it was never commissioned. It, it had to be started, in, launched in uh, April, but we didn't have the possibility to finish it. Uh, so basically everything is on one site here. And the next stage was uh, we had to do the, we, we started to, our team started to do the uh, hatchery for uh, uh, marine species, fish species, species, like four or five different species we could, could have done uh, there. And also for 1500 metric tons of uh, fish, of uh, marine fish. But yeah, basically we started, we started, we did the layout and right now we stopped it until better times, yeah. Yeah, so for the 500 tons of annual production, can you say what the overall cost of the build was? Yeah, I think right now, I, I'm not sure because I'm not an investor, but I can guess that it was around $15 million investment, yeah, at the moment. It's including all the land and also the, power lines because there are like three and a half kilometers of power lines plus roads and uh, yeah it took lots of capital expenses to do the infrastructure so uh, all the other stages will be much cheaper to to build okay so what about uh, the way you control the water quality would you consider this a bioflock system or a green water system or a clear water system uh, we use their like so-called they could they call it like hybrid uh, Russia because this is the the combination of bioflock uh, uh, bioflocculation and the rust system yeah. so also like it's fully controlled automatically controlled we have all the uh, sensors for like do salinity temperature uh, pH so all, everything can be controlled over there and also we inject uh, uh, pure oxygen uh, and uh, we control the DO constantly and water temperature, everything is controlled. Basically we start to create, you know, we, we, are, we are trying to create uh, the best possible conditions for the best possible genetics to get the, the best possible uh, uh, returns, yeah. the best possible right. harvest. Right, can you say, uh, how many kilos per square meter that you put in for the uh, production plan here, or or because uh, you haven't been able to achieve full production yet? Yeah, yeah. From from one cubic meter, we are targeting 120 kilo kilograms of uh, palmy of shrimp per year. How many cycles per year? Yeah, I think it's six cycles because we are usually using a three stage grow out system. So like the small post larvae, they go to like 100 cubic meters. After they grow out, they go to the 350 cubic meters, and after uh, on this on the like uh, the last uh, eight weeks, they go to the like 700 cubic meters water tanks. Yeah, that's pretty intensive ras. If my math is correct, then you're somewhere uh, between 15 to 20 kilos 
for a square meter of area um, uh, on, a, on a batch basis. So that's a, that's a pretty high number. And how, how did you, in that first production batch, how did the shrimp do? Uh, yeah, you're right. This is like about 15, 18 kilograms per square meter. But we are also like, what we're doing now, we are uh, controlling the biomass and uh, we can do the partial harvesting. So basically we harvest, when we reach a certain biomass, we, we har harvest uh, maybe 30% and we can do this partial harvesting like uh, three or four times before the fi final uh, uh, harvest. I was wondering that first group that went through um, how, how they did you know performance wise we had uh, we had uh, the the, sec the the section for hvac yeah for heating yeah it was made by the local uh, uh, engineer and i think that they did some miscalculation or something so the the heat pumps that were installed yeah they didn't do the job properly yeah? so there was something that i think that the either the compressors that they were supplied by the uh, by the other, no, by the co company, uh, I think that they didn't do something uh, bad calculations or something that didn't because I, as far as I know, nobody tried that technology here to heat the water uh, with the heat pumps with uh, those like air to water heat pumps. So they had they could they could manage the heating, so they didn't have the very good results. I think they got maybe five or six kilos. Uh, per per square meter or per cubic meter, basically. So it was not. It's like a common. It's, it's it was good result, but not uh, to the the depth level that uh, uh, that we had to that we calculated to. The interesting story that caught my eye and why I wanted you to come to our podcast was um, that first harvest. You decided to donate to the Ukrainian army. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, a, I, I think it was my maybe two weeks after the invasion uh, uh, that the owners, they decided to, to give all this, uh, uh, to all the harvest, to donate to military people. And they helped some, uh, some people, local people in the local community also, yeah. because there were many uh, refugees also. And I, I, have a, I have a home, I bought an old home in there. And also like the refugees are, are living in my home in that village where this farm is located right now. Wow, that's incredible. Um, I wanna get into a little bit of the origin story of the company. Um, can you talk a little bit about the original vision of that shrimp farm? Um, on the website, it originally kind of boasted itself as one of the largest land-based shrimp farms in that region, is that right? Yeah, it's not in, even in the, that region. I, uh, in, in my information, I, I know that in 2020, uh, like 450 uh, metric tons were produced in overall Europe. And this farm uh, basically doubles the production. Yeah, So this is the lar largest farm uh, in Europe right now, one uh, farm. And uh, nobody, no, I mean, like there are some, there is one a small farm in Bulgaria that they have a hatchery in there and full cycle production. Yeah, but but in Ukraine, basically, this is the, the largest one. In Ukraine? In, in, in Europe, yeah, in Europe. Um, did you see some of those technical challenges at the shrimp farm? And uh, did you have to make adjustments or was it just 
besides the heat pump not working, was it just too short of a cycle before the war started that you didn't have a chance to, to really address any challenges? Yeah, except except heating, yeah, which was not uh, uh, it was not not my responsibility. Yeah, this is like they had their own engineer who took care of the heating and all this insulation. Uh, mm-hmm. They did it by by them conditioning. They were doing did all by by themselves. Yeah, and uh, my my thing was like the all the pumps have have to work. The oxygen level has to be okay. The bioflow level has to be okay. And all these like ionic uh, profiles has to be okay, and uh, pH should be okay, water salinity should be okay. It's it's my this is what I did. They don't have, but they, they but I cannot uh, heat the water. You know, I cannot make the water uh, thirty degrees um, hot. Yeah. So this is like uh, something that we did, and. Uh, and it was working because I have this working concept in my in my place. I was I was I was getting like eight to ten kilograms of uh, biomass at, at my polytunnel. Like my small polytunnel is like maybe two hundred square meters. is really small place, but yeah, I'm I I did everything like I maybe you know the you know, Sachi Samoha, Doctor mm-hmm. Sachi Samoha. He is one of the the basically, I think this is a world-known uh, uh, man from in, in a shrimp industry. So basically, I, I learned from him a lot. So it was working. It was working, but a little bit more uh, complicated because we were using the drum filter uh, to get rid of the bioflock, uh, and we were using the bio uh, the biofilter also to clean the water. We, we are using ozone to also to get rid of the geosmin on all those and the, and all the parasites or whatever bacteria that can be in the water. And also we're using the gassing filter so we can get rid of CO2. And uh, this is like the, the combination. This, I did what I, I know that it, it, it's working yet. But for me, like I, I'm not a magician. I cannot predict that that someone will will put the, the wrong compressor and it will it will not keep up the temperature. Of course, yeah. Part of the commissioning, basically, you you need to, to fine tune anything. All the things has to be fine tuned. Yeah, after it just takes some time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you were choosing the site for the farm. Um, what were some of the considerations that you had that were specific to that geography? You mentioned that um, having a consistent energy supplier, electricity was a factor. Yeah, yeah, you know that like it took me maybe two or three months. Yeah, I, I by, by the car, I, you know, Mariupol, Mariupol knows everyone in the world right now. And uh, I, this is like uh, the, the, the most uh, Eastern point of our seaside. So I went all over the Black Sea up to maybe to Romania border. So I I knew everything. I knew all the locations here. And these locations, what I like about it, first of all, uh, it's an estuary of uh, of, uh, Black Sea. And uh, it has very good uh, water salinity, about like 26, 28 PPT, depends on the season. And the Black Sea has only 16. Uh, and and uh, what else that this one in the summer, it will be, let's say if, 
in Black Sea, the water temperature will be 1618. Then here will be 2426. And it, it's located in the very, very nice pictures area. It's a part of the national, national park. So basically it's a wild, wild nature there. There's no, no production, no plants, no heavy industry, no pollution, yeah. So I took the water samples and they were perfect, yeah. They matched the ionic profile that I was expecting. So there's nothing, it's basically you have a free uh, salt water and of very uh, good uh, high quality. So that's why, and also the, the power lines, the power lines, it's also, the, was one of the uh, problems. So we have this uh, main, main uh, power lines, governmental power lines uh, located like one kilometer away. And also we have one of the lar largest uh, solar power station. It's like 170 megawatts, I think, located just like in the adjacent in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. What happens to your company now? What what are you guys yeah, doing? Was, and yeah, we before before this invasion, before the start of the war, we had some contacts with the with the Emirates, with the company in Emirates. And at the moment, we are on the final study. We're finishing the design of the uh, it big. It, it will be about one thousand metric tons of production of the vanamite shrimp in in the located in Emirates. And it's going to be a clear water uh, production, no bioflock because uh, bioflock has its own uh, some issues. Yeah, and it's like it's I, I don't have I, I'm not sure that it's like very good for the super intensive. So we we, we decided to go on the clear water and uh, there's also like oxygen, oxygenation, uh, uh, water temperature. So basically, I think we will have uh, much more. Uh, success in there, yeah. We will have, basically we are targeting maybe up to 20 kilograms of biomass per per square meter. So it's achievable and uh, it's realistic, yeah. Okay. Um, one last question I wanted to ask you, Lubomir, is to kind of give our listeners a sense of what the Ukrainian aquaculture industry is like and how, um, and what is the general feeling there right now? Yeah, I'm always criticizing our government for 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 that they're not utilizing the all the resources resources that we have in 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 this country because we have lots of water, we have good people, we have uh, good engineers, we can do we can create many things here. But uh, the thing is that this this uh, this industry and many industries they are over regulated. You know, it's very difficult for. Like to get approvals, it takes over one year. Yeah, and oh, can you imagine that yeah, there is an investor standing in line? He wants to build. He might want to invest like 10, 12, 10, 15, 20 million dollars, and they have to to spend so much time just to to get the licenses. And, and it's not easy, you know, because it's like I wanted uh, because I wanted to do my everything uh, in by the law, but. It's very difficult, you know, to do everything by the law, because anyway, they will just do some scrutiny and they will make you unhappy, you know, now they want some corruption money. Yeah. And 
So I was always fighting this, and I want to to make it clear. I want to to people like to make money, to come, to invest, and that's just to to be happy and to develop the the communities where. Because if you if you come to this community where we build this twenty million or project uh, on this farm, I mean twenty million because this is with the further extension. Then you will see this is just like it's it's really sad, you know. So I would like like to create some jobs and pay taxes, build roads, and make people happy, so they they just know what they're living for. Well, we're coming up on our time here. Thank you so much, Lubomir, for sitting down to talk with us and telling us a little bit about um, your farm. Um, can you repeat the name of the farm so that people know? Merman's House. Merman's Mer- House. The, the husband of mermaid here yes yes and of course you are the founder and chief technology officer of vismar aqua which is a a raz um, builder and designer in based in ukraine so um we appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us so thank you so much yeah thank you very much jean and thank you very much brian yeah yeah i really really proud that i met you and like your, what you're doing for, for all the aquaculture uh, world sure. is very important. And so I love that you're like, you're sharing. Yeah. And for me, I'm, I always like follow your, all the posts from Freshwater yeah. Institute. It's my, it's my favorites, you know? So <laughs> really, really good tricks. Yeah. Well, I'm glad they're useful to you and, and uh, hopefully they can help you spearhead uh, aquaculture development in Ukraine. And I'll just end on uh, Slava, Ukraine. That was it. That was my first episode in the books. Thank you, Ryan, for co-hosting this with me and lending your expertise. For you, what stood out to you from this conversation with Lubomir? What I heard in there about the intensity of the shrimp rats really struck me as being common with other shrimp rats projects that we've heard about um, in conversations we had with Pat Wood on an earlier episode is these shrimp rats projects must require pretty high kilos of production per square meter in order to make money. I mean, the ponds um, are five to six kilos of production per square meter of shrimp. Um, and all the shrimp brass projects that we keep running into seem to be in this 15 to 20 kilos per square meter of production. So, and that's a pretty intensive uh, shrimp system. And I mm. think, you know, probably makes the systems complicated. And as, as Lubomir noted, you know, they have uh, water quality sensors or pH and DO and, and all these things to make sure they can maintain water quality for keeping a high level of intensity. Okay. So when you do get up in those higher kilos per square meter, what are the risks that um, you're having to weigh against? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a couple of things. One is just on the density basis, uh, which is really kilos per cubic meter. And, and when we talk about density, but when you get so many animals in a crowded space, just like when you get too many humans in a crowded elevator, um, you know, things can pass quickly. Uh, pathogens might pass quickly. If people are stressed or shrimp will okay. get stressed and they potentially come down with some sort of opportunistic um, disease. And so, you know, too, too many things crowded together, is, it just makes that more likely. And then mm-hmm. too, too many uh, shrimp uh, or fish for that matter in a given volume um, really stresses the ability of the RAS components to maintain the water quality. So you have to you know, design appropriately uh, for that high intense loading 
feed the you know feed the shrimp they're producing waste you have to control and remove that waste or transform it into non-toxic forms so i'm sure lubermar's um design uh company vismar you know works on uh, components and designs that try to control that water quality it's just i think you know i haven't quite seen a shrimp brass project that is you know booming and in, in, in being successful just yet mm -hmm. i know there's a couple out there natural shrimp and and uh, robin's mcintosh's uh homegrown shrimp uh which is part of cp foods in florida um until until we start to see some of these projects really take off i think you know it's they're, they're probably being challenged by having to have high intense you know 20 kilos per cubic per square meter um production levels yeah, for sure. And there's still lots to learn, I guess, in this industry, um, just like myself, who um, is still very new to the recirculating aquaculture industry. I'm, I'm, I'm eager to learn. And it looks like there's a lot of people to watch and to see how these facilities are going to thrive in the next couple of years, right? Yeah. And specifically with shrimp brass, I, I kind of feel like it's a little bit of the wild west. The mm. salmon wrasse and the salmonid wrasse industry is growing and it had its kind of you know uh, wild ideas and disruptive technologies and now it's kind of becoming more mature things are more disciplined you're starting to see the same treatment in the RAS, the same components or or similar components used in, in a similar way throughout these RAS for salmonids and, and other uh, fin fish and it's you know like i said it's maturing and, and you're reducing the risk associated with you know raising a large amount of fish in a small space on a limited water supply but for shrimp wrasse uh, i don't think they're there quite yet i i don't include myself in that group because i don't really work with shrimp but um, i do think you know it's a little bit earlier days for shrimp wrasse but it will mature and i think we will see their ability to control the waste and, and get good production from the shrimp um, as the uh, technology to keep the water quality ideal matures. Well, I'm so excited. I'm looking forward to continue to learn from you, Ryan, and also from our future guests. So um, I hope you guys like this episode. As always, our show notes with links and photos and more extras can be found on our website, rastechmagazine.com slash podcast. If you want to support us, please consider sharing this episode with your network and on social media. You can also follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss a new episode. Last but not least, we want to thank our sponsor, OxyGuard International. Secure, grow, evolve. Improve your production with tailored and targeted technology. Thank you for listening and see you next time.